This episode of the MGMA podcast is brought to you by Walmart Business. It's the Walmart you love, now for business. Get everything you need for your staff and patients in one place. Enjoy big savings on health and safety products, cleaning supplies, over-the-counter medications, and much more. And don't forget the break room snacks. Create a free account today and start shopping at business.walmart.com. That's business.walmart.com. So we stress uh, patient volume, patient production, as well as patient quality. The, the dramatic thing with that is, is that when the doctors are paid according to how hard they work, then I don't need to worry about are they showing up for work. Hello, I'm Dave Gans, MGMA Senior Fellow for Industry Affairs, welcoming you to the Executive Session, a monthly discussion with the healthcare leader on a critical issue of interest to medical practice executives. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Javon Bayham, Fellow of American College of Healthcare Executives, President and Chief Executive Officer, Mercy Health, Rockford, Illinois. Javon and Mercy Health were recognized during the MGMA 2019 Annual Conference with the Harwick Innovation Award, recognizing how Mercy Health's unique W-2 physician partnership model incentivizes system physicians to improve patient service and effectively and efficiently manage their care and medical costs. Javon, please introduce yourself and describe your background and your current responsibilities. Sure. Hi, Dave. Yeah, so Javon Bay, I'm President and CEO of Mercy Health, and my background is that I uh, went to Mail uh, after undergraduate school at Illinois to uh, get my master's in physical therapy. I met Sister General Gervais, who was the CEO of St. Mary's Hospital with Mail. I became interested in administration, spent a year with her, and then went to Minnesota for my MHA. I spent my residency out at the Mason Clinic, Virginia Mason Hospital, and then uh, was offered a position at Mason Clinic, but Sister General has asked me to come back and be her vice president, called assistant administrator at that time, and uh, I couldn't turn that down, you know, being one of three vice presidents for the largest hospital in the country under one roof that was a closed medical staff to the Mayo Clinic. So I spent 10 years at Mayo, and then after we merged the three organizations into one, I had an offer to be the chief operating officer of the Daughters of Charity uh, National Health System, their hospital at Providence Hospital in Southfield, Michigan, and spent three years there as COO, and then 30 years ago accepted the president-CEO position of what was then Mercy Hospital in Janesville, Wisconsin, uh, which was a small, struggling, standalone hospital. I grew up in Rockville, Illinois, just 30 miles from Janesville, and so uh, family reasons brought me back to Mercy, and I've been there ever since. And Mercy's been done great things since then. <laughs> yeah, we were $33 million of gross revenue when I started 30 years ago, and today we're $3.2 billion yes. in gross revenue. And how many, how many different hospitals are now part of the system? Yeah, so we have seven hospitals and 89 uh, physician locations, primary specialty. Several of those I call hospital without beds, which means we have multi-specialty physician practices with ambulatory surgery emergency rooms and recovery beds up to 23 hours but we don't keep people overnight so we don't have to call it a hospital yeah well let's talk about specifically uh the topic that where you were recognized for the innovation award 
and uh, which is how you built a physician team, which is which you referred to as the W2 physician partnership model, which relieves <coughs> physicians from the administrative responsibilities of managing a practice and lets them focus on patient care. Uh, can you give us a little, some more background on that, on this model of organiz organizing your doctors as in part of your vertical integrated health system? Sure. Well, back in 1989, it was pretty controversial for uh, standalone community hospitals to, quote, get into the physician business and employ physicians. And I really did not want to employ physicians in a traditional sense where they'd be paid guaranteed incomes or mostly guaranteed compensation. I really wanted to create a model that physicians would be compensated just like they would be in private practice and have control over their clinical practice but still fall under the umbrella of the 501c3 organization. So I really created a, a document, a professional service agreement that would meet the uh, qualifications of employment uh, in the eyes of the IRS but that would still allow physicians to begin the year not knowing how much income they were going to make uh, so that if they worked harder they made more money it was always based on a tiered compensation model so that the more volume they created, the higher their tier structure. We also created an incentive called the PIP, Physician Incentive Program, which was based on meeting quality indicators. So we stress uh, patient volume, patient production, as well as patient quality. You know, I think the, the dramatic thing with that is, is that when the doctors are paid according to how hard they work, then I don't need to worry about are they showing up for work, are they working hard enough, taking some extra time off, because I'm not guaranteeing them any compensation. And the percentage that they receive is really comparable to what they would be receiving in private practice. And then you say, well, how do you achieve that? And how that's achieved is, in order to come up with this model, we really created a software package that allows us to put in important pieces of data in the marketplace, such as the uh, payer mix, the amount of Medicare, the amount of Medicaid, the amount of managed care, the amount of uh, commercial insurance. We do surveys of the existing doctors in a community, confidential surveys of what the specialists are pulling out of their practice and compensation versus the primary care, and a number of other factors. And then this software product really provides us a, a, a tier structure of compensation and what blows people's minds usually is that I can have a neurosurgeon and a family doctor on the same tier structure and but what they make from it is dramatically different. The neurosurgeon may make you know two million dollars a year or a million and a half and the family doc may make 250,000. So that that tier structure has been that we create based on market indicators and market factors has been very successful and allowed us to track hundreds of doctors, but most important, even in addition to that, is the culture that we created, and that is the culture of having our 8,000 employees realize that the more successful we help our doctors be in their practice, that that success is going to flow to the whole rest of the system. And so we really created a, a culture of serving doctors to help them to be more efficient so that it would help the whole practice. That sounds really interesting. In fact, you mentioned your PIP, your PIP program for quality, mm -hmm. because one of the elements that was noted in the award was how you're, you know, that, you know, you're focusing not just on production. Right. You're focusing on the quality of care. So right. How does what is it? What is PIP, and what are the, some of these metrics of quality you're looking yeah. for? Yeah. So we actually 
and, and, and the thing that about this is that as reimbursement changes from CMS where more is on meeting <coughs> you know quality indicators we can right now the split is about 94 six right so 94 percent is on production six percent is on meeting quality indicators because when you really look at how uh, ACOs are paid yep. it's a pretty small percentage but it's ratcheting up over time and so we'll continue to change that split between production and quality as the reimbursement uh, split changes from CMS. We set goals ahead of time and, and the start of the year, and it can vary by location. It usually varies by specialty, you know, primary care versus uh, specialty doctors. And they have to really meet certain practice standards or quality standards. We have our own medical insurance product that offers 14 different insurance products to the marketplace and managing populations of patients through the insurance company has given us a big leg up in knowing how to set quality standards and goals that we set in the PIP program. Very, very interesting. Now, you mentioned your, <coughs> uh, you know, your various payers. What percentage of your practice today would be considered full fee-for-service and how much is either capitation or some other form of value-based care, such as your ACO business? Yeah, it's different in Illinois versus yeah. in Wisconsin. Wisconsin's a better overall payer mix okay. than in Illinois. But one of the things that the model is premised on is that we cannot protect the doctor from the marketplace that he chooses to practice in. So if he wants to practice in Rockford, Illinois, where Illinois Medicaid pays 18 cents on the dollar, that would be happening if he's in his private practice yeah. versus with Mercy. So we, we don't protect the doctors from the pyramid they would be working in, but we can protect them from bad debt and charity. And we, uh, so what that means is that basically the tier structure is not based on actual income that's collected. It's based on what's supposed to be collected. Yeah. So if the health system fails to do its job in collecting from Medicare, collecting from Medicaid, mm -hmm. collecting from commercial insurance, then uh, the doctors aren't penalized. They're yeah. paid at the prevailing uh, Medicare rate or the prevailing managed mm -hmm. care rate. So the doctors don't have to worry about how efficient or inefficient is the system is at collecting what's supposed to be collected. But to answer your question, the Mercy Care probably makes up about 20%, okay. um, you know, of of the patients uh, or the doctors' mm -hmm. practices in Wisconsin, and a very small percentage in Northern Illinois. We just really merged with Rockford Health System five years ago, and so Blue Cross of Illinois is kind of the 900-pound gorilla yes. in Northern Illinois, and so Mercy Care is just now making inroads because we've built up. A sufficient provider mix to where we can start insuring companies yeah. in yeah. Northern Illinois. Yeah. Well, I think one of the advantages <coughs> that you described with Mercy Health is that you're fully integrated. In other words, the doctors are really part of the system with the with the inpatient and ambulatory care facilities, and you have your insurance arm as well. That's right. One medical record, and and even having like for our ACO Mercy Health um, did not. We didn't have to develop new structures or. Uh, new cost, you know, to take on new costs. We were already functioning as an ACO when the Affordable Care Act yeah. was enacted because our doctors and our hospitals 
we're fully, completely integrated. And on our steering committee of our ECO, we actually have members from our insurance company who have tremendous experience in managing patient populations uh, work with uh, members of our health system in helping to achieve various case mix management, you know, of our patients. Uh, so I would have to say that when we look at our success as an ACO, uh, besides the fact that Mercy was already functioning as an ACO, our goals, you know, are really developed for the ACO by our doctors and other care providers together. We have a single medical record that supports evidence-based practice standards to coordinate care. We also employ strong case managers to help coordinate care. We have strong outreach programs for wellness and to manage chronic visits uh, and or manage chronic diseases. The, the point here is that the doctors are integral and integrated in all of this, whether it be the steering committee of the ACO. And we don't have, I think ACOs that are trying to be an ACO via contract are going to be unsuccessful because as more and more bundled payments come from CMS, yes. which are already happening, that bundled payment is not going to be sufficient to cover the cost structures of independent physician offices and independent physician groups and the hospital and the other components. Those bundled payments, I think ACLs that are ACLs only via contract are going to be fighting with each other over getting their share of that bundled well, payment. I, I, yeah, I think you're right. And mm -hmm. I, I think, uh, I know from discussions that uh, organizations that oftentimes get bundled payment, the first question is who's going to receive the payment? Mm -hmm. If it comes to the doctors, they take the majority of share and they give the minority <coughs> to the ambulatory surgery center or the hospital. Right. If it comes to the hospital, they take the majority share right. and gives the minority to the, to the physicians. Right. And in those cases, there's always a party that doesn't has a problem. Yeah, and why is that? Because the party that has a problem is trying to cover its cost. That's it's, right. <laughs> and and the other the organization that's taken it is trying to cover its cost. The problem is you have duplicative cost structures yeah. trying to divide up too small of a bundled payment. And bundled payments are a reality. There's more already coming forward. When you have a single in a vertically integrated organization, you have one cost structure. And so, therefore, the doctors can be paid for their professional services, and the organization can be paid for its facility yep. services. Well, see, and also you're gaining economies of scale. You have one medical record. Right. You don't have two. Right. You know, one for the facility, one for the doctors. You don't have your care coordination. You still have to have care coordinators. Right. But it's so much easier when you're within <coughs> the system, and especially since you have a multi-specialty practice with subspecialties. Right. Then it becomes much easier to, with that common medical record to coordinate care and right. bring the patient back to primary care. That's right. So we're in 89 clinical locations in 39 cities in, in northern Illinois and southern Wisconsin. And for a family, it doesn't matter which family member is treated at what location, they get one bill. They get one family's billing statement. They don't get multiple statements. Yeah. And as you say, one medical record. Well, how many physicians are uh, are part of are part of the, of the of the group? Just over eight hundred. Okay, so if, again, that's the other element of economies of scale, right? Where that you know you have eight hundred physicians, you know, and also they, you're doing predominantly internal referrals, right? Which again, key is a very cost-effective way of of keeping the dollars, and you're not you're not having leakage outside the system. Yeah, to be a to successful ECO or just to be a successful organization, if you're sending a lot of subspecialty referrals to other organizations, 
you're going to always be a d kind of a day late and a dollar short, right? And so when we find that we have enough volume to support it of referrals, to support new subspecialists, we recruit them. And so over the last five years, we've recruited over 350 new subspecialists. And you have a strong primary care base, so they stay busy. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. 39 cities. Yeah. yeah. Now, yeah. Now, also in your application, you talked about your, some of your community functions, because obviously when you're across 39 cities, you have a, a, a very large portion of two states right. that you're, service, you're serving. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned providing charity care. Right. Uh, what other benefits have the communities uh, received from Mercy Health? We actually, it, it's a whole array. I mean, we offer hundreds of various health and wellness programs. We even started 20 years ago the House of Mercy, which uh, provides, you know, we noticed people coming in to the emergency room, listing their car as their home. Mm -hmm. And so we um, had an, uh, a convent that was built mm -hmm. by the nuns that wasn't being used. We don't have sisters involved anymore, but they still built it like a, you know, kind of a battleship. Yeah. And so we turned that into a uh, homeless center, okay. and that's been running for uh, 20 years. And, and, and when I say center, it's not shelter. It's a center where uh, it's mainly for women and children or families. And they stay a minimum of 30 days, and we get we have a whole host of community services that team with us to get these people back into uh, being self-sufficient. <clears throat> and it's been it's been you know it's actually received the Nova Award twice in the last 20 years from the American Hospital Association. It's been very successful, and the and the the organization takes a lot of pride in it. And mm -hmm. It all runs on volunteers, yeah. <clears throat> and our partners, our Mercy partners, uh, do all the volunteering at that. But I think that in terms of um, those cities, having that streamlined care where people are not being put in a hospital, that they don't need to be in a hospital. And, and so it's just having the right care delivered in the right, or in the right uh, facility at the right time. Yeah. And coordinating. And I coordinating. Mean, yeah. Right. No, uh, in fact, I'm very impressed <clears throat> with the, you're basically you're, you're providing for the life, you know, I guess you use the term lifestyle assistance for, uh, for people who need it. In a somewhat unrelated area, uh, Denver Health, which has uh, the largest, of it's a city-managed health system in Colorado, they're actually building apartments. Right. Because they have a large hom a homeless population, and they realize they've been providing health care services for the homeless, and they can't discharge somebody if they have no place to go home. So they're building an apartment for them. That, that's very much why we started you know, the House of Mercy and very much why we have we go into outreach programs mm -hmm. promoting wellness, health, making sure that people, because they're going to end up in our emergency rooms, That's right. and we're going to end up having to provide them care for much more chronic problems or more expensive problems. So it's better for them and better for Mercy Health if we keep them healthy. Yeah, and if by chance that individual is part of one of your risk contracts, right? you're providing better care at a lower cost. No question. That's how, that. And we, we started, I started that health insurance, uh, Mercy Care Health Insurance Company probably 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. We've been at Mercy 30 years. We, and, and the amount of intellectual capital that we've gained over that 20, 25 years and how to keep people healthy has been tremendous. And so we cascade that knowledge from our insurance company to the rest of the organization. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in fact, if you have that in the insurance company, you start understanding 
a better understanding of population health. That's correct. Than I think most providers have because you're you're seeing a bigger perspective on it. That's why we have the uh, a number of folks from our health insurance companies sit on our steering committee mm -hmm. of the ACO. And now, is the ACO part of Mercy of the insurance company, or is it separate? Well, the ACO under healthcare right now. I mean, we the it's, I guess I'd have to say it's part the ACO. Excuse me. The health system is the ACO okay. for a much bigger population, mm -hmm. but Mercy Care uh, has a smaller piece of that okay. population, like twenty percent. Right. So um, it sits on the ACO oh, okay. certainly for. The Mercy, but they're managing their yeah. subscribers almost independently of yep. the ACO, but they're bringing us knowledge for the whole pop, the other yep. eighty percent too, which helps you manage the population. Right. So that's a Medicare ACO. That's right. That's right. Right. You know, and Mercy Care, of course, is not. So it gives that's you, correct. It's a great opportunity to take in-house skills and learn from your, you know, from your own, for your Mercy own Mercy. executives. Who manage populations manage population for a living. For a right. living, yeah. Right. Uh, I can, you know, help very easily understand why the ACO has been so, so successful. Right. Uh, you know, now, how does the physician partnership model fit in with the ACO? Because there's a delivery arm. Yeah, well, I'd have to tell you that the physician partnership model is really the foundation of the entire vertically integrated health system, which allowed us to grow from 33 million to 3.2 billion. And the growth from one little struggling standalone hospital to 89 facilities and seven hospitals. If your doctors are with you kind of part of the time and not all the times, and if they're admitting but competing, I mean, you really have a house divided. When the physicians are fully integrated in the health system, you have common incentives, common goals. And as long as they know and how they're being compensated, which is very similar to private practice, and they have tremendous control over what's important to them in their practice, the system is really making their life easier, so they have more time for production, right? Yeah. From a from a busyness from, standpoint yeah. of a doctor running, and maybe more time for for their own lives, and too. for their own <laughs> lives, right? Yeah, you know, the, the time to see more patients and for their own lives. Yeah. But you got to have a culture that doesn't kind of treat them like time clock punching employees, that's right? Because they're actually not. That's what's neat about it. I don't have to wake up in the morning and wonder if my 800 salaried doctors are going to put in an honest day's work for their comp. Because if they don't, they're not getting compensated. That's right. Yeah. But you wake up in the morning, you've got 800, 800 doctors wanting to work for you. That's right. Exactly. Which is a great feeling, I'm sure. It's, it's a great feeling. That's how we've grown. <laughs> yeah. And another 3,000 other employees. Right. Uh, no, thing. actually, we got another 8,000. Oh, 8,000 other yeah. employees. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, actually, you know, this has really been enjoyable, but I know there's a lot more we could discuss. But uh, I think at some point we have to say, you know, we have a limited amount of time to, to record sure. our, our session. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to add? You know, you know, you know I, I, would, I would just say that healthcare is changing dramatically. Mm -hmm. It certainly has in my lifetime. I think it's going to change even faster with the advent of technology. I'm asked to sit on several boards of new technology companies that are coming forth with emerging technologies. And, uh, but I still go back to the foundation of, of adapting to all these new technologies and new delivery models is having the doctors and the hospitals be part of the same organization. That is the foundation. And you can adapt to any change that comes from the government or the marketplace or technology if you're working together 
day in and day out uh, with this with common incentives. Yeah, I think common incentives and common goals. <coughs> common and, goals and common it? governance. That's right. Makes all can make a difference because you are you are actually one organization. Yeah. You know, and not trying to coordinate care among others. You no, know, we have physicians on our board of directors. You know, two chief medical officers. I mean, um, I, I depend on those guys greatly. Javon, thank you so much. This has been most enjoyable. I am sure our listeners will find your information uh, very, very helpful for them. And I think, you know, that I can see why many people may be envious of the organization and your leadership. Yeah, and I guess I'd just say that the best things in life don't come easy, and, but you got to persevere and just uh, take it each one day at a time and keep moving forward. Yeah, well, you have to work at it, but you can see the results. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. The popular buzzword we've been seeing everywhere is AI. But what we all want to know is how we can implement and use it to our advantage. When it comes to improving margins, accelerating cash flow, and optimizing staff performance, there's a one-stop shop using cloud-based predictive analytics. MGMA Analytics is your AI-enabled tool that upscales technology you've already been paying for, so you can silo your disparate systems and make data-backed business decisions. Visit mgma.com slash analytics and see how AI can revolutionize your finances and operations. Again, visit mgma.com slash analytics today.